Welcome to the Keeping It Israel podcast with Jeff Futers, where Jeff and his guests talk everything Israel as it relates to Christian faith and the church. If you are a Christian and you stand with Israel, you will be encouraged and challenged by this podcast. And if you're not so sure about the whole Israel thing, you need to learn how your faith connects with Israel and why standing with Israel matters. Now here's Jeff with today's guest. Well, welcome back to the podcast, and we are moving along through our series on Gene Binder's book called Connecting the Dots, and uh, Gene has been with us now for a number of weeks, and we're actually coming to uh, coming to the wrap-up. We've got today's episode and then one more week, and uh, we'll be done our series with Gene, but I want to encourage you, even before I, I reintroduce Gene again, go out and buy his book, and uh, boldjourney.com is the website boldjourney.com slash books with an S on the end. And uh, he says that's where the best deal is. Right, Gene? Yeah, you can go to Amazon, but it's cheaper on my website. There you go. So make sure you go to his website and and pick it up there. There is a Kindle version available on uh, Amazon, I understand also. And uh, if you uh, read electronically, then you can pick that one up there. But Gene, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be back. Uh, we've been talking now for a number of weeks about uh, these seven foreshadows and uh, off the top of each of these podcasts, I've had you just kind of go back over them quickly so that if people are are jumping in midstream here, they can know a little bit about what we're talking about. But this is this incredible story uh, of God uh, wanting a family and building a family and and ultimately uh, bringing the family all together uh, one day in the future, that wonderful day when uh, when Jesus returns for uh, for his church, for his bride. And so um, that's the sort of the real, real high view. But talk to us about these seven foreshadows that we've been covering together. Okay. Yeah. So, so in the book, it, it, it basically looks at history and the Bible as one uh, seamless love story from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, not two stories, not a Jewish story and then a Christian story, but one story. And that, but it, it looks specifically at the role that the Jewish people play throughout the story from beginning to end. And it does it by looking at what's called seven foreshadows. Um, and these foreshadows play out in, in, in three episodes. So just like a trilogy would. And so you're meant to, to, to think about them in, in order. You wouldn't want them out of order. Um, and they begin as in, in the Old Testament as prophetic pictures from the past that get fulfilled in the Messianic era that we live in now, begin when, when Jesus showed up. Yeah, but they'll be eternally completed in this place called New Jerusalem that we read about. Um, Old Testament and New Testament. I mean, everything that we read in the New Testament has already been stated in the Old Testament. That's why it's one continuous story. And so um, these seven foreshadows follow this very logical order. And I'll, I'll go through them again and get to, to what we're going to talk about today, um, just like I've done in, in each of these sessions. But it starts with a covenant that God comes to a man named Aram, Abraham, makes a promise to him and his wife that they'll have kids and a piece of property. And, um, but it's important to understand that it starts out more as a, an engagement. It's a promise to be married. And, but it looks like the wedding's off. The Israelites are unfaithful. 
But then in the second episode, Jesus shows up and the wedding's back on. And then we have the wedding feast in New Jerusalem. That's kind of a typical picture. Prophetic picture of the past gets fulfilled in the Messianic era through Jesus and finally eternally completed. And so if you think about the covenant as a marriage, um, as the very first step, the next logical step would be once you have a marriage, you usually have a family. And that's the nation of Israel. So that's the second foreshadow. So once you have a marriage and you have kids, well, you need a place to live. And so that's the third foreshadow. It's the promised land. And you have a marriage and a family and you have a place to live. You've got to have a good, healthy set of rules to raise those kids by. And that's the Torah or the law. And um, last week we looked at the temple. That is, was God's plan to give his kids access to him. It starts off in the, in, the, in the first session, kind of awkward. He's in the back room. In the second uh, episode, the temple is, is us and God's in our hearts, but still not perfect. And in the third episode, God is the temple in New Jerusalem. Um, and this week, we're going to look at, at the Sabbath. Uh, we Jews call it the Shabbat. Um, and it's basically a 24-hour period of time that starts at sunset on, on Friday, and it ends on sunset on Saturday. Um, and the overall picture that you get about Shabbat as it relates to the foreshadow is that true rest, because that's what Shabbat means. It actually means to cease, but we think of it about as, as rest. True rest is not found in being idle, like doing nothing, but in living purposeful. And, um, and that'll make sense as we go through this and we talk about what the Sabbath looked like and how it evolved over those next two episodes to get to this picture of living purposeful, um, not just for 24 hours, but forever, eventually. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I want to just point something out here, and, and maybe you'll have something to add to this, but I love the concept of, of Shabbat, really because it is one of the most uh, ancient principles that we know of from the God story. This this goes all the way back to Genesis in the beginning, right? And yep. and it's modeled after this this rest uh, that that God talks about. Anyway, I want you to jump in and, and tell us about uh, about the three episodes and how Shabbat tells us this beautiful gospel story. Yeah, and you, and you nailed it. I mean, it really does connect back to the creation story. Shabbat is based off of the seventh day of creation. You know, for six days God created, but on the seventh day he ceased from working. Here he rested, but rest makes it sound like he climbed up on the couch, you know, and took a cosmic nap. Um, and we're going to dispel that, that myth quickly. So, yeah, so we get this in the first episode. It's basically ceasing 24 hours from our work. And it, it's really important to get that pronoun correct from our work. And let me read to you what it says. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 14 says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So it's very important that you keep it holy. We're going to talk about this. This is almost every Jewish observance has a ceremony where you say some prayers and you leave what's called the ordinary and you enter into the holy. Um, and the Sabbath is, is no different from that. And so this idea of holiness is really important for the Sabbath 
to get this. It's important for all of them. I mean, last week, the holiness of God was a big problem. That's why he hung out in that back room and that got resolved. So observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Don't miss that pronoun. And literally in Hebrew, it's the work of yours. That's literally how it, it states. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath. The seventh day is a ceasing to the Lord your God. Um, and so let's just talk about this, this holiness thing, because it's really, it's really important. Um, if you've never, ever observed the Sabbath from a Jewish perspective, um, just, just right at sundown on, on Friday, Actually, if you even back up maybe three hours before that, it's this, it's this, it, it, I've been in Israel dozens of times over the Sabbath. And right around three o'clock, everything starts closing down. And it's just this wild frenzy, particularly the marketplaces where men and women and kids are scurrying about because in, in, in three hours or four hours, you can't do anything. You can't light stoves. You can't turn on or turn off lights. You can't cook, you can't do, and you, so you're, you're scrambling to get and prepare your food for 24 hours, and um, it's beautiful, and it's crazy at the same time. And then you have this ceremony where the, the wife lights the candles and, and, and prays a prayer, inviting and beginning the Sabbath, and then there's lots of other prayers. Sometimes it's just a prayer over the food and, and over the wine. But if you're, you know, the, the more orthodox you are, the more religious you are, you have longer. You could actually pray for an hour or two before you mm -hmm. actually enter into the Sabbath. It's a, it's a, it's a long process um, to enter into this holy, sacred 24 hours. So I want to I set that table that way, okay? Now, having said that, I want to talk about the consequences of violating the Sabbath. So there's a story in the book of Exodus where this, this young man goes out and he collects firewood. Now, you know, they're in the wilderness and you can imagine that the nights got cold and you can imagine that he ran out of wood, right? And he's got to, and, or, or, or his fire went out and he ran out of wood and, and it's cold and it's like, who, you know, even though you're not supposed to, to work, you know, you want to protect your family. And he goes out and collects wood. Some people notice and they go up to Moses and they say, hey, you know, we saw this guy collecting wood. What should we do? Moses says, honestly, I don't know. I mean, it's a gray area. Let's, let's ask God. So he asked God. And God says, put him to death. By Exodus 31, 15 says, whoever does any work on the Sabbath must be put to death. Now, I don't know about you, but I think about like what, what seems logical as a consequence, as for death to be a consequence. You know, if you murder somebody, I mean, there's a lot of things we can come up with. But in my mind, violating the Sabbath is not one of them. It seems 
overkill and use a play on words. It's, it's overkill. Does it, do you think so? I mean, yeah, no, I've, yeah, let's just I've always for a second. Let's just two guys talking. Doesn't it seem a bit much? It does seem a bit much. And I've always thought that and always been glad that, you know, I, I could study all of this on this side of, uh, you know, of the new covenant, because uh, there, there seemed to be a little bit of a little bit of leeway there now. But, uh, but yeah, when you look at the at the Old Testament uh, law, and the way that uh, that it was carried out, the the consequences for breaking Sabbath, um, have always seemed extreme to me. It, it, it seems really extreme. And, um, and it is, it is really extreme. I mean, this guy, poor guy, collecting firewood is put to death. Um, now, the, we don't know other parts of that story. We don't, you know, I'm just, I'm embellishing a little bit that maybe he was trying to do something good for his family, but maybe not. Maybe he was, you know, trying to sell wood. Uh, maybe he was a wood seller. Um, but in any case, it's, it seems pretty harsh. Yes. And this is where the Sabbath gets kind of its negative spin in Christianity. Like, oh, it's just, it's just burden upon burden, you know, and the Jews, they draw, you know, you got, you got the commandment not to work, but let's just draw circles around what that looks like. And there's like hundreds and hundreds of rules that have come since the, the wilderness experience where the rabbis have said things like how many steps you can take before you're, it's considered work, how much weight you could carry before it's considered work. Um, you, you've been to Israel, so maybe you stay in a hotel that has a Shabbat elevator. Do you know about that? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. So for those that don't know, uh, most of the hotels have what's called Shabbat elevators. These elevators run automatically there's no pressing buttons now in fairness it's not pressing the button that's considered work it's making the spark the spark yeah because this guy was collecting firewood and so um if you're a devout jew and you're in a hotel or you live in an apartment where there's an elevator you know, you're going to have a Shabbat elevator. It's going to run automatically in most, in most cases. So you don't have to create the spark. Once you're in your home and the sun's down, you cannot turn on the stereo for that same reason. You cannot turn on a light switch in, in the synagogues. You could get a job doing this, Jeff. Um, um, they have what's called Shabbos Goys. So these are non-Jews who can do all that for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you all kinds of loopholes to get around things. And that's one of them. Um, most synagogues, if they're, if they are need, do need to turn on stereo systems and, and during their synagogue services, they'll have a Gentile do it. Um, but, but, but what I want everybody to understand is how understandable this is g- given the consequences of violating the commandment. And you can see how they got so rigorous doing this. Right. Yeah, for sure. So let's get back to this holiness thing, because this is where it gets really interesting. And this is where I think, you know, I, as far as I know, since I wrote this book, you know, came out in 2018, I hadn't heard anybody teach on this. Um, and hopefully people are teaching on it now that my book has gotten out there. And I've, you know, gone around the world 
teaching on this. But there's something, there's an interesting connection to make, connecting the dots to the consequences of what seems like something that shouldn't have this extreme consequence. And it has to do with, with being holy. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. How do you keep the Sabbath day holy? I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's like the biggest question you can answer. How can you keep the Sabbath day holy? You want to take a stab at it? Again, you're putting me on the spot. This is supposed to be, I'm just supposed to be asking you questions. You're supposed to be providing all the answers, but, but, but here, you know, so in, in my, my limited understanding uh, of all of this, and of course I've, I've read the book, so I don't want to, I don't want to give away what you're going to talk about, but I've always believed that, that uh, first of all, you know, Sabbath, for for me, for a non-Jew, it looks different than it does for uh, for a Jew. I think because of because of Jesus. But uh, you know, I've always felt that we we still need to take a day, one day a week, where we focus focus on God and who God is. Uh, we leave you know our own work, and um, we we do God's work uh, on on that day uh, and keep it holy in that way. Uh, I've always recommended to people that they, you know, involve themselves in activities that focus on God and that um, that help them learn more about God and enjoy God's presence. And um, maybe I'll just, I'll stop there. That's, that, that would be, you know, what I've always said to folks. Yeah, I would say you've absolutely nailed it. You just, you just pushed forward a little bit. So if we, if we go back to this original commandment to an ancient people who knew that death was the consequence, how do you keep it holy? It's so simple. It's, it's, like, it's like how we ended last week. It's, you know, faith is so simple, yet it's so hard, mm. right? This concept is so simple. You simply, the way that you stay holy on the Sabbath, you cease from doing your work. That's it. 100%. Stop doing your work. And you are declared holy. And you are safe. You are safe from the consequences of this. Hmm. And, um, of course, when I think about this, and, and it was really, you know, it was way back in in. 2000 and oh i want to say I'm trying to remember this 2008 when i first was given some of this stuff by god that light bulb went on for me where have i heard this before where have i heard before that if i just stop doing my own work i will not have the consequences of death now, I don't know if something went on in anyone else's minds, but Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 9 comes to my yeah. mind. Grace. Right? Grace, absolutely. It is by grace that you've been saved. Through what? Faith. There's that hard thing again. And this is not from yourselves, right? You can't do this. It's a gift of God. Not by works it says mm. it is by grace you've been saved through faith 
And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast about it. And the Sabbath is a foreshadow. Like if you just stop working, you're safe. Just trust God. Trust God. Stop working. Stop doing your own work. We're going to get into to this in a little bit. And this is a beautiful picture. It is a, you know, this is a prophetic picture from the past that is going to be fulfilled in Jesus again. Because all we have to do is stop working. You cannot gain God's grace through your works. You can't work hard enough. You can't work long enough. You can't work good enough because we're not holy. The way that we become holy is to cease from our works. That is the pattern of the Sabbath. It's beautiful. It's good. I like it. I like it. So it's kind of interesting because, you know, we get this idea. You, you talked a little bit about taking your own Sabbath. We do it at my church here in Boulder, Colorado. We're a mixture. We, we observe and respect both Jewish and Christian traditions. It shows up mostly on our calendar. And the Sabbath is a big deal. And we don't tell people, you know, in, in Israel, the Sabbath started on Friday because that was the end of their, that's our Thursday. Um, it's the end of their work week is, is Friday and sat, Saturday is like our Sunday. The Sabbath is like our Sunday. So I say, well, just, you know, it's, it, my mind, God's less concerned about the day. He's more concerned about the heart of what this accomplishes. And um, if you think about God, it says six days he worked, but on the seventh day he rested. And that's what Sabbath is built. So what, so what does it mean that God rested? Does it mean that, you know, he climbed up? Do you picture you know, him climbing up on, the net, on a couch and he's been sleeping ever since? No, of course not. What, what has God been doing? He's been managing his creation. I mean, it says mm -hmm. in the Psalms that God never slumbers nor sleeps, right? right? So in some sense, he's a workaholic that way, but in a very healthy sense. He never stops working. He stopped creating, and he handed the creation baton on to us and said, here, let's see what you guys can do from this point on. <laughs> I'm just going to manage this thing, and, he, and he's been managing it. So when Jesus shows up, he... He, he perturbs the, a lot of the Jewish leaders because he's doing things on the Sabbath, right? In a couple of occasions, he's healing on the Sabbath. And, and he's accused of violating the Sabbath. But he says, well, look, how many of you, if your oxen just falls into a ravine, wouldn't go down and retrieve that oxen and save his life? That is a mitzvah in itself, right? That is a good thing. That's a good deed in itself. And Jesus, how much more important is it that I healed this guy on this day? So he shook, he shook that, that up and said, look, it, it isn't about stopping everything we're doing. It's stopping the kinds of things that we're doing. Mm. And, um, and, and I love that. 
I love that, that Jesus comes to reframe the true meaning of the Sabbath. It's not us. And for some of us, it is a good thing to climb up on the couch and have a long nap. I mean, some, sometimes that's really good. But for the most part, and it's beautiful in Israel, if you ever hung out with a, an Israeli family, whether they're a believer or not a believer, it's, it's typically the same thing. It's, it's the family's there, and the food is there, and the wine is there, and the challah is there, and, and, they, and they're playing games on Saturday and enjoying each other, and they're going, they're going you know, and, and enjoying the, the environment. It's just, it's just beautiful to be a part of and beautiful to watch. It is quite something. And I'll, I'll never forget one of my first trips to Israel and the guide that we were working with um, took us on a little bit of a side journey through one of the Orthodox neighborhoods in Jerusalem on Shabbat. And uh, just seeing all the families out together, dressed in their black and white, the little children, uh, you know, dressed in, in their black and white outfits and the little boys in the hats and the girls with their bonnets. It's, it really is just such a wholesome family kind of atmosphere. It just feels so good. And, uh, you know, I go back to Israel, well, not last, not this past year, but usually I'm, I'm back there three or four times in a, in a year. And, um, when I'm, when I'm really being good and, uh, uh, enjoying a healthy lifestyle, I like to run. And uh, sometimes on Shabbat, I'll wait and I'll, I'll run partway through the day and, uh, going through, uh, the parks in Jerusalem on Shabbat is just, it's amazing. There are people everywhere, uh, with barbecues and, and, uh, you know, frisbees and just out together with the family. It really is something quite, uh, quite special and, uh, something that I believe, you know, we've, we've lost in our, our North American culture and, and context. And, uh, if there was sort of one part of, of Israeli culture that I could bring home, that would probably be the one thing that, that I would love to see, you know, kind of reinstated in our, in our own culture. In a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. Not a legalistic, not a legalistic way, but in a healthy way. Yeah. And I'm glad you're doing it. And, um, and you know, more and more because, because there's, there's, there's lots of people like me that are going around the world now and talking about these things in a healthy way where no longer the stigma is, oh, it's, oh, it's, oh, you know, it was a burden that Jews couldn't carry. We shouldn't have anything to do with it. No, that's, that's not true. <laughs> you know, it's a beautiful thing and it's a rhythm of life. And six days you work. And you cease from your work and yes. you have a different rhythm. It's, it's a rhythm that's, again, it's, it's another picture of this eternal family that God is going to create. We're, we're going to have, well, I, wanna, I don't want to be a spoiler. I won't say what I was just about to say about where we're going in the third episode. But the family, husband and wife and the kids, is the best picture that you can have of what eternity is supposed to look like. Now we screw it up. I mean, we really mess it up. I don't know about you, but I really mess it up really in my life. Um, but I get that, you know, there's a reason why in Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians five, it might be six, um, where it, it requotes Genesis one for a, a man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and they shall become uh, one flesh. It's echad um, basar, that's one flesh. It's mm -hmm. repeated in, e book, in the books of Ephesians. And he says, 
what I'm talking about here is Christ in his church. I mean, this is an amazing comparison. The family, a husband and wife, and then his family is a picture of Jesus and his bride. And ultimately the picture of this one eternal family in New Jerusalem. Um, yeah. And so one day a week, we get an opportunity to make it look like what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. Yeah, and no, that's really important. And uh, you know, I like to to say to people that that Sabbath now, Sabbath today, uh, looks like something that's that's intentional and not uh, not a burden, not a not a stress. I you know, I, I try and tell people, look, if if you are so stressed out about trying to fit in this one day a week and and it's a, it's a bothersome thing to you then you're you're doing it wrong uh you know it, it needs to become just part of i think you mentioned the the phrase the rhythm part of the rhythm of your life where and and it doesn't always have to be even the same day uh you know sometimes my wife and i have to find a day where it works for both of our schedules um and if and if we said it has to be you know Saturday or it has to be Monday or Friday or whatever it it wouldn't work because one or the other of us has something that we have to take care of with with regards to our vocation our you know our our, our business and so um, I, I really think that you know for if you're listening first of all don't miss don't miss what we're actually talking about. Uh, this this Sabbath in in messianic fulfillment is a, a beautiful picture of the gospel, ceasing from your own works and relying on what Jesus has done for us is what is what brings us uh, into uh, you know into God's family. But but if you if you want to put this intentional uh, rhythm into your life, then just try and find a way to set aside twenty four hours where um, you're not worried about your business, you're not worried about your work. Um, maybe you're spending time with family, maybe you're doing other work. Uh, you know, maybe you're renovating part of your house, or you're, you're doing different work. It's, uh, you know, they say a change is as good as a rest. And it really is true, often. And um, I just think it's so important to find, uh, find that 24 hours uh, each week, if, if you can. Uh, and, and I think that uh, it honors God when we, when we do it. And when we take, you know, part of that day to really focus on him and, uh, and everything he's done for us. Anyway, I'm not supposed to be preaching. I'm supposed to be asking you questions and you're supposed to be telling us what's what. So let me tell you a story that, that happened with Jesus that relates to this. You know, it's, it comes in John chapter six. It's where he feeds the 5,000. And so most people know that story where, you know, there's 5,000 people, they're hungry, you know, the kosher deli in Jerusalem's closed, and so the, where, <laughs> where are they going to get food? And the disciples are stressed out, you know. He says, you feed them. Where are we going to get food? The deli's closed. Um, so, he, you know, there's this young boy that has just, a, you know, some loaves of bread and some fish that they're barely going to feed two or three people, and they pass it around and everybody eats, and they're satisfied. And then Jesus leaves. He puts the disciples in the boat. He goes off to be by himself. They, they're going across uh, the Sea of Galilee, Lake, Lake Genesaret. And uh, the crowd follows them. They're tracking with them. You know, that's where Jesus comes out and gets into the boat. And they get all the way to the other side. 
and I love it. You know, this is this is like getting at verse twenty-eight. They they uh, they said, you know, when they get to the other side, they go, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's like they're trying to be low key, right? I mean, they saw him the whole time. And this is what he says. He says, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs. You think it would be the signs that draw him. He says, but because you ate the loaves and you had your full. In, fill. in other words, you, your bellies are filled. You want another free meal. So Jesus says to them, he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And what's he talking about here? He's, 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 he's looking back to the manna in the wilderness, right? In the wilderness, there was no food. And so God rained down this substance called manna and they could, Jews could collect all that they wanted for six days and they got a double portion on the sixth day because you're not going to work on the sabbath right but they could only they couldn't collect uh, enough to store it overnight and if they tried to it would spoil and it would it would turn into maggots and it did there were some people even though people knew this and even though they went out and did this time and time again it spoiled so do not work for food that spoils but food that endures to eternal life he's got this wilderness manna in view now doesn't it does it make sense that if you know that you're going to collect more than you need for the day that's just going to spoil does it make sense that you'd go in day in and day out and do that it doesn't right no no but of course isn't not that, isn't that what most of us do we get up and we get out that door and we go and we work for food that's just going to rot So we have this one day a week. Well, Jesus says to them, he says, do the work for food. Don't work for food that spoils. Work for food that endures to eternal life. He says, what, what, what must we do to do the works that God's required? He says, Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all coming back down to faith. And we have one day a week now. Well, in the, in the first episode, you have 24 hours. In the second episode, we have the ability to do God's work every day. You still should, we should still set one day apart, but we're always doing the work of faith, right? We never stop believing. We're always believing. When you get to the third and final episode, it says in Revelation 22, it says, no longer will be any curse. This is why we work, right? We work because we're all under a curse. That's mm-hmm. sort of our brow. We wouldn't call it work. We wouldn't call it a ball and chain if it was easy. Um, it wasn't meant to be this way. In the garden, it wasn't going to be work. I mean, my, lo- my wife loves to garden. She never calls it work. <laughs> Trust me. No longer will be any curse. So that's over. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. And it says his servants will serve him. Now, it's interesting that the word that's used there in, in Hebrew, at least, um, the word for worship and serve and work, it's all the same word. You know, when, when Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go, let, let, let us go out into the desert that we might serve him, it's, it's the same word for work. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's the same word for worship. There's no difference between the two, that our work and our worship should be the same thing. 
all prompted by faith. In that third episode, we'll be doing that forever. And it'll come effortlessly. Right now, you and I, we struggle. We're, we're distracted by so many things. We're still tempted by fame and fortune and all those things. But we all get liberated in that final episode where we'll, won't be any more curse, no more temptation, just worshiping God forever. That's that's really great, you know. Um, I'll just I'll share a quick story here because uh, I kind of I kind of learned a lesson like this when I took um, my first sabbatical. I had an opportunity to have a few months off of work at a church where I was, and and um, so what I did was the first month I I wanted to spend it in Jerusalem. I'd already been to Israel a number of times, but uh, you know I had always gone and was on a tour bus and leading groups of people and and busy and you know you never you get evenings to yourself but really you don't get to experience Israel um, outside of kind of that tourist lens or, or tourist framework. And so I, I wanted to do it on my own. So I you know I rented a, an apartment an Airbnb and uh, when the group left we took them to the airport and and dropped them there and then I got a, a cab back into Jerusalem. As I began to uh, experience this sort of sabbatical thing, I really had a rough time. The first, the first three days, I would call my wife and and she'd say, "How's it going?" And I'd say, "I'm like I'm going out of my mind. I I have nothing to do. Like I, and I didn't realize that I, I had become so conditioned, so so." Um, well, conditioned is the right word to to be working all the time to always be thinking about what's my schedule tomorrow what are my appointments what am i going to be doing what and i honestly got to the point where the only way that i could not like absolutely lose my mind was to sit down in the evening and write out the things that I was going to do the next day, you know, go to the Israel museum, visit this place, uh, you know, walk through this. I, I had to literally schedule my days because of this, this innate conditioning that I had to be working all the time. This is right at the beginning of the sabbatical. And uh, I'm happy to report that eventually I got to the point where I could just enjoy you know, doing nothing for a little while. But after so many years, well, 20, 27 years of, of not having this kind of opportunity, I didn't know how to act. Hmm. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, we've all been conditioned to, uh, you know, to go after that, that brass ring. And um, we don't realize that the brass ring is really God. It's, it's not our careers and it's not, our accomplishments. It's what we can do to serve him. And ultimately that's what we'll do. We will be served. We'll serve him, which is again, it's a synonym to worship, work, work, worship, and serve are all the same word. And um, we have an opportunity through faith to line all those three words up in this lifetime, whatever we do. Um, it says in Corinthians, whatever we do, do it as if serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord, working for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And the more that we, we get that in the, into the right column now, uh, the better life that we'll have. In fact, if, if I might just wrap it up, I mean, Jesus says, I mean, this is, to me, it's like the ultimate call that Jesus gives us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I mean, he's, he's talking to us. 
about our lives and how they can get off track and how they can become about something that's not really eternal. And it feels important to us because we're, you know, we're, we're making money and we're making things happen, but it may not be something that is giving us rest. Right. He says, come to me. Mm-hmm. If you're worried a burden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. In other words, come with me, get yoked with me and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest, not for just your bodies and your minds, but for your souls. The part of you that is eternal, the part of you that longs for this kind of rest. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that is really the command that we're given one day a week, practice one day a week, you know, it, your, your, your pitch is to people to, you know, if you can't do one day a week, do a half a day or a quarter day. I say on the other side of this, try two days, try three days, you know, hmm. um, there's nothing wrong with going in that direction as well. And, and I, I agree with you, you know, do what you can. But if you can do more, do more. And it's not, again, it's not climbing on the couch and taking a nap. It is aligning yourself with serving, working, and worshiping the Lord more in your life. That it lines up to that. That's the foreshadow of the Sabbath. Well, I love that. And um, to clarify, you know, I, I tell people, start somewhere. If you can only do a quarter day to start or a half a day to start, but, but always with the goal in mind to get to at least a day. I think that that uh, that's pretty key. But, uh, you know, I just love, I love the, the picture of, of grace in all of this. And if I could go back to that little illustration of, of my meltdown on sabbatical, um, I think that most people, when they think about, when they think about faith or they think about religion, religion in particular, everybody's preconditioned to this idea that religion means doing stuff that we have to do everything right and not do all the wrong things. And that's really the only way that we can make it, but it's really not that, not about that at all. Is it? It's about, it's about ceasing to strive about all of those things and accepting uh, the grace that, that Jesus offers us through his uh, death on the cross and his resurrection. And um, that's just the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, basically sets us free from all those other things. Well, Gene, thanks for being with us again today. And uh, I know that folks will have appreciated uh, this teaching on Sabbath. I want you to just set the table for next week. This this one on the feasts to me is, I mean, I, I love teaching this stuff as, as much as just about anything else that, uh, that we teach, but uh, just give them a little bit of a teaser and then we'll, uh, we'll sign off for the day. Yeah, so we're going to go over what are called the biblical feasts, uh, the ones that are annual any, anyways. And, um, and they're amazing because what, what most people don't know is they, they give us a pattern of the entire story from beginning to end and how it moves through different seasons. And God, um, we call them feasts, but it's really in the, in the, in the biblical text in Leviticus 23, it's the Hebrew word moedim. It literally translates God's appointed times. And there, if you've never heard anybody teach how the feasts are relevant today and forever, then you're going to be blown away because uh, this is God at his best to pull this off, as it is for all the other foreshadows as well. Yeah, come Amazing. Next. 
All right, you heard it here, folks. You need to come and uh, and listen in next week or or watch next week this podcast on the feast. Gene, thanks again for being with us today, and um, God bless. Well, thank you for joining us again for the podcast today. And I hope that you've been enjoying Gene Binder. This has been just an incredible series. And it's hard to believe that we only have one week left. But uh, I hope you'll join us next week as we talk about the feasts of the Lord and uh, how that we see so much happening in the feasts and how they're relevant to us today. You're going to want to come and check that out. Don't forget to go and pick up Gene's book that is uh, at his website, Bold Journey dot com slash books boldjourney.com slash books and you can also get a Kindle version on Amazon. We encourage you to uh, to do that. Listen, if you enjoy this podcast and if you are um, you know appreciative of the material that we've been sharing we would love for you to give us a rating and even write a review on the platform that uh, you are listening on or uh, on our YouTube channel. We would just appreciate so much your feedback on this and uh, that would help us greatly as we prepare more podcasts in the future. Just a heads up, in a few weeks, on the 24th of March, I believe it is, we're going to be uh, rebranding this podcast a little bit. The name will be the same, but the look and the feel will be a little bit different, and we're excited about uh, what's coming. So we just wanted to let you know that. And lastly, we always want to remind you that we are a ministry. We're a charitable organization. We rely on the contributions of people like you to help us do the ministry that we do and especially to help us uh, support and fund ministries in the land of Israel. These are vetted and trusted ministries, Messianic and Christian ministries on the ground there in the land of Israel. And we are so privileged to be able to send funds to them and help them with special projects throughout the year. And it is a major part of what we do as a ministry. And so we want to just encourage you if you could help us and you would like to do that, go to our website, firstcenturyfoundations.com forward slash donate. And there you can uh, make a charitable donation and get a receipt for your taxes, uh, both in the United States and in Canada. We appreciate you doing that. God bless you for joining with us today. We hope you'll check in next week to hear Gene and I uh, chat about the Feast of the Lord. And remember, as Christians, we stand with Israel.